We're a minute past the hour of 6 o'clock as the sun gets ready to set over the greatest city in the world. This is the Progressive Radio Network, PRN.FM. My name is Mark Riley, and this is the Mark Riley Show. Glad you're here. Lots of things that we are going to discuss. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking uh, a little earlier, uh, and, and this is born out of my own experience. If you want to make the world just a little bit better place, Jason, lighten somebody's load a little bit. You know, I, I was riding the train up here, right? And, uh, I mean, it was like stupid crowded because there hadn't been a one train in a long time, right? So there's a lady in a st- that has a, a child in a stroller. Right. She can barely get out the door at the train stop. And I'm looking and I'm seeing people push past her. Yeah, because everybody's got some place to go. You understand. And then I realized uh, before I could stop myself, I said to her, listen, do you need a hand up the stairs? And she said, just like smiles. Yeah, if you could. (laughs) And it's a narrow staircase, mind you. People are coming down into the train, people coming out of the train. But we navigated that staircase, and when it was over, she said, thank you so much. Even the kid, and he was a little kid, right? But he was all big-eyed and grinning and carrying on. And it dawns on me that every now and then, you make the world a better place if you lighten somebody's load. I'm not trying to nominate myself for a Nobel Prize for doing this, you understand. But it's just a little thing. Sometimes you can do little things that make a little bit of a difference in people's lives. We lost Elaine Stritch in the past week. I don't know how many of you are familiar with her work. She passed away at the age of 89. She was the grand dame of the Broadway stage. She's one of those people, she transcended her medium, whether it was stage, television, film, whatever it was, Elaine Stritch was there and classy and... uh, I guess you might say even a bit iconoclastic. So rest in peace, Elaine Stritch, passed away at the age of 89 after truly, truly a life well lived. So we got a bunch of stories to talk about. And, and a couple of them I decided to talk about even, if, even though I hadn't initially intended to talk about it. Because uh, like one of them happened yesterday. And it's one of those things, you, you all heard about this dual health care, court, two court rulings, contradictory court rulings, two federal appeals courts. Uh, what they ended up doing was trying to decide the question of whether the government could subsidize health insurance premiums for literally millions of Americans. All right. By a vote of two to one panel of the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit struck down a regulation issued by the IRS that authorizes the payment of premium subsidies in states that rely on the federal insurance exchange. Not to be outdone, a unanimous three-judge panel of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit in Richmond, Virginia, issued a ruling that came to the exactly opposite conclusion, saying, in essence, that the IRS rule was a, quote, permissible exercise of the agency's discretion. Now, Jason, what are we, what are we to make out of all this? What are we, what are we supposed to? Well, no, it says only, so eventually I'm sure the Supreme Court will decide it. But I'm going to tell you what I make out of this. This is just me. 
all right? We wouldn't have all this mess if we had universal health care. Damn it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, look, uh, universal health care would make all of these subsidies and exchanges and five last things. It would make it all irrelevant. But we don't have universal health care, Bluto. We were scared. We were scared John Boehner would sue. He did anyway. We, would, we were scared Ted Cruz would call us a bunch of godless communists. He would anyway. We're scared Sarah Palin would call for the impeachment of Obama over universal health care. Who cares? This is why we have all this foolishness. Universal health care, ladies and gentlemen. From birth to earth. You know, why do we why do we avoid this? Why do we say we can't do that? Why do other places in the world that do it? Places that we think we're better than do it. But we can't do it. Want to know why we can't do it? Because there's too much money involved. The insurance companies make too much money. And the healthcare landscape that shifted a bit with the uh, Affordable Care Act. <clears throat> Got a frog in my throat there. Uh, the Affordable Care Act. Oh, my God. My voice is gone. <laughs> Almost. Uh, what happened with the Affordable Care was that the insurance companies were still in the game. They were still players. They could still make their money. That's why they didn't scream and shout too much about the Affordable Care Act. Politicians did because they don't like Obama. And that's their right as Americans. But we wouldn't have dueling federal appeals courts coming to two diametrically opposed conclusions if we had universal health care. I mean, I guess they could vote up or down, whether it's legal, constitutional. But I'm going to tell you something. If everybody in this country was covered so that when they or their kids got sick, they could get well, and some court would say, you can't do that, the American people, I believe, would rise up in a way that we haven't seen since I was a teenager in the 1960s. Say what you will about some of these other health care systems. We are not in America, number one, in health care outcomes. We're not even close to number one. And yet, we can't do the affordable, we can't do universal health care. We can't do single payer. We can't even do a public option. Why? Because some politician will hold their breath until their head explodes, like Joe Lieberman threatened to do. That's why. And we have a punk politician class, and we have Americans who don't know our own strength. That's what we have. So they can, you know, they can keep ruling. I guess all these appeals courts, you know, because they get paid pretty good money, judges that sit on the appeals court. They get paid really good money. So this is how they earn it. 
ruling on the Affordable Care Act. They'll be ruling on the Affordable Care Act halfway through the next president's term because it was unnecessarily complicated. Unnecessarily complicated. People just need to rise. We want universal care. And we're not going to settle for anything. See, there were a lot of people that said they wanted universal health care. But there are a lot of people who are willing to settle for less. And now it looks like, depending on who wins this tussle of appeals courts, they may end up settling for a heck of a lot less. Now, here's a story. Wait a minute. Okay. Because we're switching stories now. My wife says I have to be. I have to make some kind of punctuation as we switch stories. Uh, Headline in the New York Times. Jason, get a load of this. Prosecutors are reading emails from inmates to lawyers. Now, okay, you can understand that prosecutors might read emails from inmate to inmate or inmate to somebody out on the outside or whatever for security purposes or to find out, you know, whether somebody's contemplating a crime. But I always thought that communication between a client and a lawyer, whether that client was in the clink or not, was supposed to be privileged. Uh, it's amazing. Now, I'm sure as many of you didn't know, well, put it this way. This is is uh, around a specific case. A guy named Thomas DeFiori, a reputed boss in the Bonanno crime family. Thousands of pages of evidence, including surveillance photographs, cell phone and property records, and hundreds of hours of audio recordings. But as uh, DeFiori sat in jail sending emails to his lawyers, federal prosecutors in Brooklyn sought to add another layer of information and evidence. Those emails. Prosecutors informed DeFiori last month they would be reading the emails sent to his lawyers from jail, using his own words against him. Now, to be fair, and, and I am nothing else if not fair, or at least I attempt to be fair, all, defend, all defendants that use the federal prison email system, which is called True Lines, have to read and accept a notice that communications are monitored. Prosecutors once had a filter team to set aside defendants' emails to and from lawyers, but budget cuts no longer allow for that. So it's okay to read uh, uh, emails from a client to a lawyer as long as you're broke. How does that sound, Jason? As long as you're busted, got no money, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) Budget cuts solve all problems. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I believe that attorney-client privilege is attorney-client privilege. You are not supposed to be reading emails between inmates and lawyers. You're not supposed to be monitoring phone calls between clients and lawyers. You're not. I mean, I I won't say it's not fair because life is not fair, (laughs) okay? Let's be very clear. Life is not fair. But either we have attorney-client privilege or we don't have attorney-client privilege. And to tell you the truth, I prefer that we did. So, uh, and I know most of the people that listen to this broadcast 
are not getting locked up anytime soon. So maybe it doesn't pertain to you, but maybe we do have some lawyers in the audience who thought, well, yo, you know, why should I have to worry about talking to so-and-so? Is there, is, is there a problem? Yeah, there's a problem. Dun, 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 dun. Speaking of problems, the esteemed governor of Texas, Rick Perry, has decided to solve the problem of the surge of children trying to get in the U.S. over the Mexican border by sending a thousand National Guard troops. Will those troops be armed or unarmed? What do you think, Jason? Armed? Uh, they're going to be armed to the teeth, which means there is the possibility that kids will be shot. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to be flip about it, but that's what Rick Perry's doing. And, of course, this is supposed to be a backhand shot at the president where you're not doing enough to solve the problem of these tens of thousands of little pesky immigrant kids that are coming to the United States. Never mind what they're trying to escape. I have, Jason, I have the solution to the immigrant situation. Complete solution. And by the way, I suggested this on a radio show the other day. And everybody, oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. That's going a little far. I don't think it's going too far. You know what my solution is? It's a very simple one. Let the indigenous people, let the Native Americans... Decide who stays and who goes. How about that? Let the Native Americans decide. After all, their laws were violated by the people that came and settled this land. Unless you think that Native American law had provisions that allowed for the wholesale slaughter of their number and pushing them onto reservations. So when we talk about being a nation of laws... How many did we violate with them? And rather than give them casinos, which, which seems to be our solution to the problem, how about we simply say, okay, we'll have a commission of indigenous people who will decide who stays and who goes. And by the way, some of you loudmouths, and by, did you hear about this, Jason? Some guy that was running for office, I forgot whether it was Texas, Arizona, or California, one of those places. And it, it, there was a, a protest organized by the Tea Party to stop a busload. Yeah, it was Arizona. Stop a busload full of kids. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy's out there, yeah, yeah, go back home, go back. And then it turned out the bus was full of kids on a YMCA trip. Not the it's fun to stay at the YMCA trip. Just a plain YMCA trip. So this moron, well, gee, uh, uh, I guess I messed up. Yeah, you messed up, you moron. You idiot. What kind of example do we think we're setting for kids? By blocking a roadway. By the way, they're all going to secure facilities. It's not like they're dropping them off in the middle of town and say, hey, kids, <laughs> the Kmart's over there. <laughs> we don't do that. They're in secure facilities. And these feckless, you know, I would do a background check on the ancestors of all of these anti-immigrant people. Every last stinking one of them. To find out if anybody in their past came to this country illegally, without papers. Since we're a nation of laws, why don't we just like, you know, deport a few? Just shut them right up. 
And, and look, we have to do something about the problem at the border. We do. Part of what we have to do is address the problem in their home countries that sends them here. But no. We can get involved in the Ukraine. We can get involved in Gaza. We can get involved all over the place. Syria, you name it. Libya, Iraq. We can go all over the place. But to try and address the crushing poverty in our own hemisphere? Oh, no, 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 no. We can't do that. Why can't we do that? Because we don't have the guts to do that. That's why. And that's why I say, let the indigenous look at Rick Perry's background (laughs) and make sure, you know, before he starts sending kids from the National Guard to the border with rifles to train them on kids. What's go? What is Rick Perry going to do if and when something tragic happens out of this? Well, we're sorry. We didn't mean that to happen, but uh, we had to do something about these children streaming in from the border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever. Dun, 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 dun. Closer to home, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my good friend Ken Lovett, who's the Daily News Bureau Chief up in Albany, dropped the following nugget earlier this week. Lawmakers in the state of New York spent $300,000 in the last six months on legal fees over scandals. 300 G's in six months to defend themselves against allegations they were corrupt. And by the way, I forgot how many, was it 29 or 30 of them have been locked up since like maybe 06 or 07 or something? It's crazy. It's crazy. And while we're at it, on the same subject, so I don't have to do da 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 even though I just did. <laughs> a new poll from Siena came out the same day as Ken Lovett's column. Two-thirds of voters think Albany lawmakers are corrupt. <laughs> well, if you're spending 300 Gs defending yourself, duh. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's utterly amazing. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give out the number. 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. We have a very special guest who's going to be joining us to talk about the Eric Garner situation. So if you have something you want to say about that, feel free. 888-874-4888. And we'll explain to you who are listening who don't know about the Eric Garner situation, which happened right here in New York City. We'll explain to you what that story is all about. Before we get to that, let me take a moment to thank Carol from Hell's Kitchen, who I actually met at a mutual friend's house a few weeks back. Lovely lady, really nice lady. And she gave me a gift. She gave me a painting. She's an artist. I love artists. I love people who are creative. Maybe to make up for my lack of creativity. I don't know. But she gave me a really beautiful, small painting. And I, I, my wife set it up over my computer. And it is, for me, a daily bit of inspiration. So, Carol from Hell's Kitchen, thank you for that painting. I very, very much appreciate it. Eric Garner was a 43-year-old man living on Staten Island. He was allegedly, and I emphasize allegedly, in the business of selling illegal cigarettes. 
as such. He was apparently well-known to the police on Staten Island, Tompkinsville. And the police confronted him. A police officer put him in what everybody says appears to be a chokehold because there was a video of the incident. Uh, We don't know yet exactly what killed him, but he ended up dead at the hands of police. And there was a huge uproar. There were been numbers of protests and demonstrations, including one that called for the ouster of the current police commissioner, William Bratton. Joining us to discuss this in great detail is the award-winning reporter for the New York Amsterdam News, which, by the way, you can purchase on newsstands tomorrow. My good friend, Mr. Herb Boyd. Herb, how you doing, buddy? Okay, Mark. What's happening, man? Uh, it's your world, man. It's your world. Whoa, I pay rent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Herb, we've seen this before. You and I go back a long oh, way. Oh, brother. We've seen Anthony Miller. We've seen Anthony Baez. Remember Michael Stewart? There have just been uh, story after story after story. And I, I, I uh, maybe a little further into our conversation, I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen here. But mm-hmm. what are you hearing and what are you reading out in the street? Well, one of the things about this, almost from the very uh, first uh, reportage, and um, we had uh, suffered from no illusion on how the media and the NYPD, to say nothing of the correction department, the EMT and the Civilian Complaint Review Board, all these agencies are just terribly uh, dysfunctional. And the policies they have, that they're just violating one after another. And here, the chokehold mark, as you know so well, has been outlawed. Since 93. At least. And two, we say 92, two years before Anthony Baez's situation. Yes. In the Bronx, where they're playing football, the ball accidentally hit a police car. Next thing you know, he's in, he's in the grips of a, of a chokehold that extinguishes his life. That police officer, uh, Francis Lavodi, you know, he did some time. Yeah. But the thing about it, in this case here, and, and, and what was most disturbing and disconcerting is to have the police commissioner, William Braddon, the first things out of his mouth is, to, is, is a recitation of Mr. Garner's arrest record. Yeah, yeah. And, and we had been forewarned, you know, because we've been through this before. I mean, you talk about uh, Sean Bell, Amadou Diallo, what have you, is that... Patrick Dorisman. Remember that he's no choir boy? Exactly. You know, no choir boy. And he didn't want to open up his juvenile records. Yep. You remember that? I remember. But but anyway, the point being is that here is a situation where at some point, and I think Reverend Sharpton said it very well at uh, Riverside Church on Sunday, you know, at some point some humanity has got to kick in. It's just so absolutely cold and and, and and an absolute disregard, you know, for human life. You know, the kind of like they look upon the black males out there, some of these white police officers, as being absolutely worthless. But now, Herb, let, let me stop you there for a second. Because you say humanity should kick in. After Eric Garner was on the floor, motionless, mm-hmm. uh, there were a group of, what was it, four EMTs? Right, right. Paramedic. Uh, who did yeah. nothing. And the police stood around like they were at a barbecue. Uh, when, when do you think the humanity should have kicked in? I mean, at some point when you have immobilized him, he's on the ground, he's not moving. Is there any concern about his man? Because he's crying out all the while, I can't breathe. Yeah. 
He's saying, I can't breathe. This one police officer, the one who actually put the chokehold on him, is kneeling on him, and apparently one knee is pressing down on the side, and another, he's got his hands pressing Mr. Garner's head against the pavement. Yeah. yeah. So all of this, and according to one pathologist uh, who commented on the situation, it's when the EMT, when these paramedics and emergency service people arrive, they were less than professional. I mean, this woman, you have the video where the woman is reaching over, seeing the man has a pulse. Yeah, yeah. Pathologist said what should have been done, CPR should have been applied almost immediately. Uh, Mr. Garter should have been sat up. The Do way you think they, that could have saved his life, Herb? That's what, according to the pathologist, Marcus, what he's saying, they believe that that would have saved his life. Hmm. So that's part of that suspension that yeah. they're facing. And it could say nothing of the uh, of Pantaleo, who Daniel Pantaleo, the officer who applied the chokehold, and I guess you're saying that here's the we're waiting for the autopsy and whether or not that had anything at all to do with bringing on this cardiac arrest, because you are talking about a man who was very much overweight. Yeah, 350, 380 pounds, I think. Ain't that something? Yeah. And suffering from asthma, which, of course, is connected with one's respiratory uh, problems, to say nothing of a possible heart disease. Any kind of rough encounter like this, because, you know, they, they slammed him down. Yeah. They yeah. didn't gently put him on, that, on the concrete. He hit that concrete with some force. And then they put pressure on to keep him down. According to the pathologist, all of this is connected to the man's death. I don't know how they could exclude that. Herb, do you think they were scared of Eric Garner? You know, that that was the first thing that hit my mind when I saw it. Of course, I connected with the with the Marlene Pennock situation. Remember back on July the 1st, Mark, out there in California? Yeah, yeah. Where the cops grabbed her. And it was almost reminded of, uh, of our Vietnam, well, actually my Vietnam days, when we said that when the Army was saying, the Special Forces going there, we had to burn the village down in order to save it. Yeah, yeah. You got to beat this woman half unconscious to protect her? Give me a break. So, but but that's that's what came to mind. Rodney King looking at her, mm-hmm. then hearing about and seeing the video on Eric Garner. First thing that hit my mind was Anthony Baez, yeah, uh, 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 Alberta Sproul, Eleanor Bumpers, Michael Stewart, Patrick Dorsma, uh, Abner Louima. I mean, Miller, the list, yeah. as you said earlier, it's pretty long and extensive, and each one seemingly more brutal than the next. Herb. And that's what we're facing. But look, at, Mark, another question is, though, what happens with the Civilian Complaint Review Board that has received numerous reports and, and, and complaints of almost a thousand of them since 2009, they all connected with chokeholds? Chokeholds, yeah. And they cleared, what, nine out of the 1,000 or something? Only nine were substantiated. Only nine were substantiated, Right. And out of the nine, only one went to any kind of punitive measures. So I you guess want to say, mm-hmm. that's toothless. That, the Civilian Complaint Review, Review, Review Board, we said many, many years ago, was a paper tiger. Absolutely. Our guest is Herb Boyd, award-winning reporter for the New York Amsterdam News. Herb, um, we've seen a pattern over time with mm-hmm. these kinds of cases where there is initial outrage, there are marches, there are rallies. Uh, the family is very prominent in terms of, of their grief. But then 
when the media turns off the lights and when people go on about doing whatever it is they're doing, uh, the autopsy comes out. And as it, at the end of the day, either there are no criminal charges brought against the cop or no. there are criminal charges that are brought against the cop. The cop takes a bench trial, which he might not even have to do on Staten Island, and ends up being acquitted. What's different? What do you think are the hopes that this would be different? The only thing different out of this would be the extent to which the feds come in and uh, start talking about a civil rights violation. I think Sanford Rubenstein is already on the case to take care of the family who's going to be bringing a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like the, the other day, you talk about the, the uh, Rikers Island and going into <laughs> that correction department. Well, they just settled a case the other day with a, a man that they killed two years ago. They said he died as a result of receiving, uh, being traumatized, hit with a blunt object, and that was Ronald Spear. Yeah, $2.75 million. $2.75. That's one of the largest settlements of a long time. It's like the old McDonald's thing with the Ku Klux Klan. You might have to price them out, but think about it. Those, that money is taxpayers' dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, he had to make the NYPD, you know, go into their budget. But, but, uh, Herb, uh, what what I mean, Bratton announced today, I think, mm -hmm. that there are going to be changes to police training. They're talking about possibly arming police with tasers. Is that going to make any difference here? <laughs> well, you know, when he, he kept saying, you know, I was listening very closely to him, Mark, the other day, and he kept saying retraining, retraining. And I kept hearing restraining, restraining, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they need to be. First of all, the whole evaluation, you talk about the entire retraining the entire police force. Well, some kind of psychological, uh, psychometric tests need to be applied to them, too, and find out where's that racist uh, uh, potential that exists for some of these officers. And there's some psychological evaluation tests that you can give mm -hmm. to, to, to test their racial component, but at the same time, what about the residency thing? Now, those cops, I don't know, they must have known Mr. Garner. They did. They said they, uh, the word was that they, they he was familiar to them. He, and now, what's, what's the problem? You know, is he resisting arrest? What we can gather from the video is that he's trying, he's pleading with them. Look here, can we talk this over? I mean, I haven't done nothing wrong. If, well, why are you harassing me? Well, next thing you know, one of the cops is up, slipped up behind him and got him in a chokehold, and, and they wrestle him to the ground and, and, and press his body yeah. into the pavement. Herb, has you know, there been any word about whether or not uh, Eric Garner had any cigarettes on his person? If, if he said it that he was telling him, I have, I have nothing, I, I've done nothing wrong, I have nothing on me. What are you, why are you harassing me? That comes off on the video. But, uh, of course, now they can. I saw them going through, once he was immobilized, one of the police officers is digging into his pants pocket. Now, whether, you know, you never know how they w work with that, you know, in yeah, terms of yeah. planting something on him or seriously trying to get his wallet to, to identify him. But I'm curious about that whole process. Obviously, it calls for a thorough investigation in just about everything. I would, I would agree. Degree, I feel that the scene has been compromised, and you know what I mean. But nonetheless, the the funeral is this evening. I was like torn. Be, but I just got a message, which is kind of disturbing, you know, from um, from the National Action Network, mm -hmm. saying that 
only New York One and the Daily News is going to be a pool. Really? And my concern on that is, like, what does that mean for the black press? Here we go again. You're pooled we, out. We get You're pooled out the out. pool. <laughs> Ain't that something? You pick New York One and Daily News to go in, and then they disseminate, disseminate or distribute whatever information they have. Herb, let me ask you the $365 million question here. Bill Bratton said that as mm-hmm. far as he was concerned, the Eric Garner incident was not racially motivated. What do you say? It's hard to think about anything that happens in an American society that does not have a racial component. <laughs> Hardly anything. And certainly when it comes to the affairs between the black community and the NYPD, you know, I was soon air on the side of caution here, but I know for real that most of those white officers, and they have a website out there, and they have a blog. I've seen it. Have you, do you see the malicious, vicious, anti, I mean, I mean it's, it's something how they can talk about him being a beast, uh, that he, he deserves what he got, you know, he should have, if he had he'd put his hands out and been handcuffed, none of this would have happened. You know, but it's all, I mean, you're, you're, I'm not surprised what these white police officers, I'm sure that most of them are white police officers, what they're saying. And so we're not at all surprised, you know, we should not be, in terms of the consequences of this, how it happened, the motivation. They're not going after, if you're talking about, you know, the, somebody supplying this man with the cigarettes. Oh, uh, yeah, it's I mean, an interesting question. Yeah, if, if, you know, if you're alleging that he's selling it, where is he getting it from? The same thing with low-level drug dealers. They don't ever seem to go after the ones who are the heavy dis- distributors. You know, let's go, let's take it to another level. But well, no, they don't want to spend it. It's, it's, he's easy. Well, yeah, he's low-hanging fruit. And, yeah, low-hanging and, fruit. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, to, to die over Lucy's is uh, the ultimate New York City absurdity. I mean, beyond the tragic part of it, mm-hmm. to die over selling Lucy's. It's just like, I mean, first of all, half of New York buys Lucy's as much as they cost now. <laughs> uh, I mean, I hate to be flip about it, but let's be I real. It, but that's, that's real, and that's why they're there. Yeah, yeah. And that's why those shop owners see, feel the uh, pinch on it, too. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're cutting, they cutting their prices down, you know, because they sell Lucy's right out of the stores. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they but do. it's a 25 cents difference. Uh, you know, his was 50 cents, and they selling them 75. Uh, absolutely. You know, so so everybody's trying to get stretch the buck as far as they can, Absolutely. but you know when you have someone taken down for something as minor as that, it's absolutely disturbing, and it's just something has to be done about this. Heaven only knows it's not going to come from the Civilian Complaint Review Board. It's not going to come from the NYPD policymakers. I mean, he can say all those things about retraining. But it's not going to be effective in the long run because all you need is another instance of a black man standing there unarmed and defying the police yeah. in any form or fashion, either physically or verbally. Herb they Boyd, have put their lives at risk. At risk, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Herb, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you right, Mark, so much for joining us. Hey, let's do it again under better circumstances, okay? Oh, yeah, for sure, man. You take care. Have a great okay, one. Okay, Harlem Week is coming. Let's oh, talk yeah. About we'll, that. we'll have you back on and talk about that for sure. Uh, okay, Mark. You take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Herb Boyd, award-winning reporter for the New York Amsterdam News. It's 23 minutes, 23 minutes before the hour, 7 o'clock. Do I have that right? We've got Robert from Ridgewood. Who's been holding on for a while, Robert? How you doing, my friend? Hey, how are you, Mark? I'm doing great. Oh man, it's so good to hear you and talk to you and know that 
I, I, everything that you're talking about, I knew I had to get on the on the hook and talk with you about this whole case and other things that have been going on. Yeah, this yeah. is just, this is just a a case. I, I watched the uh, the video clips as they came in about this whole situation with uh, Mr. Gardner, and I thought to myself, how is the media going to play this? And what I've been seeing and hearing as of late is that they keep talking about his weight. They keep talking about if he had not flared up, like you were saying, that this would have never happened. Yeah. And they're going to play, I think they're going to try to play this, that his asthma, him being asthmatic, is what caused his death. Now, we clearly know that that's not the case, because if you look at there's quite a few videos out, out there. Well, you know, you Robert, look, here's the thing. If you take that theory to its logical conclusion, he would have had an asthma attack and dropped dead in the street walking to get, you know, walking to get a soda. Exactly. And and that's one of the things that could be said about it. But the fact is, is that you've got a police force in this city that is constantly, constantly up against it. I mean, this, this is nothing new with him. And killing people seems to be one of the things that goes on here. I've been saying this for the longest time. These cops, and I hate to say this because I have people on the force and everything, but these people that are on the force these days, they're just as bad as the thugs out here. Well, yeah, really. I wouldn't want to go as far as to say that, you know, all of them are bad. Because well, I think that's not true. I think there are a lot of cops that go to work every day and do a good job. Just like there are a lot of right. people in corrections, a lot of people in the fire department. There's a lot of public workers that go every day. And they do a good job, and they do a job in a non-racial manner. The problem well, is I, I, yeah. <laughs> there, there is a culture, I believe, in the police department that's existed throughout my radio career that sure. tolerates, tolerates aberrant behavior when it comes to people of color. Sure. And, and it starts from the top. It starts from the top. This is nothing new. I mean, I'm older. I know I've seen this thing time and time again. It starts at the top. If you've got somebody at the top that can sit down and look you in the face and say, I'm not racist, and this situation is not, there's nothing to do with it, when you clearly know it is, it doesn't take a, a, a stranger that, or a crazy person to figure that out. No, but Robert, you know, one of the things when, when it comes to Bratton, Bratton does not want to lose the 34,000-odd people that he supervises. And if he, if he says... This is racial. He loses them, and he knows it. They'll turn on him like a dog. Because right, and then the, they'll have then they'll have a, a riot like they did in like ninety, I think it was ninety three on on the uh, city hall plaza. Well, see, the I thing about it is, and, and this is, I think, at the crux of the problem: the good cops will feel stained by Bratton saying this incident was racial, and the sure. culture says. You have to respond to this, and you have to respond to this as strongly as possible. Pat Lynch will go berserk. Right, and he's already going berserk. I mean, I heard him on, on uh, I think it was one of the stations, where he was talking about this guy had it coming to him. He was a thug. He was a menace to the, to the community. And to turn around, and they interview people that were in the community and said that this guy's a general giant, and these are white people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's a sad, sad situation. Robert, we got to leave it there, man, but always great to talk to you, man. Thank you so much for calling, and thanks for listening. All right, Mark. See you later. All right, have a good one. 19 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. These cases are not going to go away, and uh, 
All right, I'm going to do it anyway. Jason, back in the day, um, during the Sean Bell case, when the cops that were tried in the Sean Bell case, when that case was being decided, I went on a radio show, very popular radio show, and the host said to me, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, while I thirst for justice, those cops are going to walk. 48 hours later, that's just what they did. And I got to tell you, in this case, they may, may bring criminal charges. Maybe. But I don't believe they're going to convict this guy. I don't think they're going to convict anybody. I think they're going to come to the, this was a tragic set of circumstances routine. Because we've seen that too. Amadou Diallo, tragic set of circumstances. Sean Bell, tragic set of circumstances. This one, that one, tragic set of circumstances. Ramwali Graham, tragic set of circumstances. Kid that was running from a bunch of robbers in a bodega in the Bronx, runs out into the street, trips over a cop and gets shot to death. Tragic set of circumstances. Ain't nobody going to prison over a tragic set of circumstances. I hate to be that blunt about it, but I've been at this game a minute. And I've seen case after case after mind-numbing case. And by and large, they turn out the same way. By and large. Now, if this had happened in the Bronx, it might have been different. <laughs> you know, in the Bronx, if that guy Pantaleo had, 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 uh, had charges brought, he'd have taken a bench trial. No way he goes before a Bronx jury. I don't think there's a cop in New York that would go before a Bronx jury or have their fate decided by a Bronx jury. Now, some of y'all may think I'm talking out of school. Maybe I am. Call and tell me at 888-874-4888. Tell me the last time you remember a police officer taking a jury trial in the Bronx. I I can't remember now. Maybe Lavodi did. (laughs) He may have been the last one. The guy, because he did go to jail, the guy in the Anthony Baez case. But it doesn't happen often. Doesn't happen often at all. And this happened on Staten Island. If he takes a jury trial, what kind of jury you think he's going to see? One that is sympathetic to police or one that might say, I'm not believing everything the cops say? Which one do you think he's going to take? I'm just asking. 888-874-4888 is our number. My name is Mark Riley. This is the Mark Riley Show. we got about 16 minutes left in the program. And uh, there's some other stuff that's going on in the world. And we're going to run those few items by us. By you, that is. And we will conclude with our To the Ridiculous segment, which is a doozy this week. Now, the... Uh, Malaysian Airlines situation continues to astonish and continues, by the way, to shape what appears to be a Cold War, a a, a reinstatement of the Cold War from the 50s and 60s. Suddenly, we're not worried about the Arabs anymore. We're not worried about the Middle East. We're not worried about Al-Qaeda unless we think they bleached a bunch of flags and put them on top of the Brooklyn Bridge. We're not worried about any of them anymore. Now, 
Putin is the enemy. I heard uh, on, on CNN early this morning the most ridiculous argument between Chris Cuomo and some guy uh, who Cuomo, by the way, accused of, you know, being too pro-Russian, I guess, or in, in, in the in the payroll of Vladimir Putin. And, and I'm not saying Putin's a perfect guy. You know, the guy used to be in the KGB, for God's sake, and he's running a powerful, powerful country. That alone, you know, uh, and, and trust me, we've had ex-spies running this country, too. I give you George H.W. Bush. Wasn't Bush a CIA director at one point? Yeah. So we've had spies run this country. Don't act like it ain't happened before. But uh, I'm not saying that Putin's motives are pure here. But I also don't think, and I don't think there's a person in America, not one, who can say with any degree of certainty that Putin called up the Ukrainian rebels and said, yo, why don't you shoot a plane out of the sky? Show these people we mean business. It's nonsense. It's not what happened. I think it's more likely that somebody pressed a button and went, oops, and almost 300 people lost their lives. Now, decent people would pause in the wake of something like, on both sides of this, would pause and say, damn, we shot a plane out of the sky at 33,000 feet is the altitude that most planes fly when they're going over a distance. We fly from New York to California. What altitude do you think we fly? Five yards? Hell no, we fly 33, 34,000 feet. And this plane was shot out of the sky. And somebody needs to be held accountable for that. Now, the question of who it is that figures out who's to be held accountable is open to debate. Because we, being the United States of America, like to be able to think we can go over there and say, okay, you did it. And Putin, it's your fault. Now, nobody in their right mind thinks that we're going to start a war with Russia over this plane. And by the way, we've shot down a couple too, quiet as it's kept. Nobody thinks that's going to happen. And short of starting, well, I don't know what, you know, people write these columns in newspapers. Obama needs to show leadership. What does that mean? Jason, what does that mean? Obama needs to show leadership. What does that mean? Does that mean he goes over and slaps Putin in the head? Boom, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> what is he supposed to do? What we have to do, and, and, and this is the other problem that we have. Sometimes we support insurgents, and sometimes we don't. In Syria, we supported insurgents. Bashar al-Assad must go. He's got to go. And, you know, the other side of the equation is, in this instance, we don't support the insurgents. We don't support the people that want to be part of Russia in eastern Ukraine. Now, to the rest of the world, that looks inconsistent. Wildly inconsistent. Looks inconsistent to everybody but us. What is that thing in Alice in Wonderland? It is what I say, you know, it is whatever I say it is or whatever that thing is in Alice in Wonderland. 
or, or maybe not. It's the, the looking glass, the mirror. I don't know. Whatever it was, it, it, there was a statement made that, like, you know, whatever it is, it's what I say it is. And that's how we approach foreign policy. We can support who we want. And consistency, that's for the other guy. <laughs> Very much for the other guy. 11 minutes before the hour, 7 o'clock. My good friend Michael S.W. is calling from the Bronx. How you doing, my friend? Hey, hey, good buddy. Getting ready for a vacation at the end of the week. Oh, uh, congratulations. Where are you going? Uh, Massachusetts, Cape Cod. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, you out there with the rich folks. <laughs> well, I do have some uh, relatives up there. And also attending a wedding up there, my youngest cousin getting married. Oh, look out. Congratulations to your cousin. And uh, enjoy. you driving up, huh? There you go. Yeah. I know you ain't taking one of them little planes, man. I, I can't stand uh-uh. this. Uh-uh. <laughs> so what's well, on your mind, Michael? Two things on my mind. Number one, I, as well as, you know, a whole bunch of people, outraged at what happened to that poor Staten Island gentleman, Eric Garner, and the persistent cover-ups trying to be done by some of these NYPD cops and right-wing pundits. Um, and I know I had this um, discussion with you before, Mark. I keep saying, you've got to get after these leaders, these catalysts, that are setting the precedence and somewhat policy for this continual abuse going on and nobody's being held accountable. But wait a minute, Michael. The person that's in charge of it, the policymaker, is de Blasio. We just elected the man. No, no, no. But my thing is that there are still police on the force that are still behaving like it's still Giuliani time or Bloomberg time and don't give a rat's rump of what the new mayor or the new police commissioner say. And rats one rump, of those huh? catalysts, wait, 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 one of those catalysts has, who has been there through the Giuliani administration and through the Bloomberg administration is the PBA president, Pat Lynch. He gave a cold, callous response to the people's outrage and pretty much in the community saying that, you know, you guys are just having knee-jerk reactions and jumping to conclusions. But wait a minute, uh, Michael, Michael, when did Pat Lynch ever not give that kind of response? That's what he does. That's what he does. He's a union president. He represents the line officers here. You don't expect him to say, hey, uh, Pantaleo ought to go to the jail. He would have been better off not saying a doggone thing at all instead of adding insult to injury. That's my whole thing. And If he doesn't like say said, anything, he loses his gig as union president. But he, but he, supposed, he himself said he's supposed to handle the police officer's um, rights internally. But he has been exposing the stuff externally, where he's manipulating the court system. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is everyone's trying to figure out how in the world the white flag got up on the Brooklyn Bridge. Well, first and, of all, if it is, if it turns out to be American flags that were bleached, that's a lot of Clorox. Wow. You know I, I haven't heard that part. I yeah, they said that. that. But either way, here's the thing, Michael. Uh-huh. They got police cars on the Brooklyn Bridge 24-7. And everybody's wondering, how the hell can police miss something like that? And something came to my mind. It's going to be a conspiracy theory, granted. But when you consider... Go ahead, conspiracy theory to your heart's content. Well, see... <laughs> Come on, Mark. I'm just joking, man. I know, I know, but people got to give this, uh, well, give this you know, a lot of consideration. One of those things that make you go, hmm. 
with all the cover-ups that keep going on, what happened in Staten Island, and people saying it's racial. You've heard already down in Florida that they busted a couple of cops uh, that were a part of the KKK. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so I can't help but wonder if the white flag is something like white power or something like that. That's just something. Well, they usually have white. The the white power movement usually has some some kind of symbol, not just the white flag. It's the Confederate. It's usually the Confederate flag, but you know the white flag. You know, most people see the white flag as a flag of surrender. Yes, exactly. Which, by the way, gives every militarist in New York. An excuse to jump up and say, look, it's Al-Qaeda. Now, who is being told to surrender? That, that's, a, that's the other thing. If that means, if that white flag Dorothy? is actually saying... Is it surrender Dorothy? <laughs> no. I'll kidding. get you my little pretty thing. And you don't talk to. Nope, not that. No. Given what has transpired, is it telling people of color and communities to surrender? Like... The certain you know what's on us. I don't think so. I, for one, will not stand for that. Oh, no, I, I, I got to tell you, Michael, I don't know what the motivation is here. We uh, don't even know who did it. No, and, and, and it looks like they're having a little bit of difficulty finding out. Uh, I, I, and I, I just, wouldn't want to speculate on its symbolism without knowing who did it. Well, of course, I wouldn't Could want to speculate. Could be the Occupy movement, you know. It might be. Be, it could be a whole bunch of things. Or it I'm could be some adding, hipsters from Williamsburg. I'm just, <laughs> Got I'm, else to do. I'm just adding a, a strong possibility here, adding to the possible of terrorism and you know things like that. Well, the let me ask is, you this, Michael. Uh-huh. Do you think the cops will catch this person by Friday close of business, or the pre- pe- person or people responsible, allegedly, by close of business Friday? I honestly don't know. For all you know, it could have been a cop that put it up there. Well, it could be, but I doubt it. They got could other be. things to do. Could what are they, you know, uh, what are they proving? Putting it, up? I could see if it was cops, they put it on a Verrazano. <laughs> you know what I mean? Listen, got to run, Michael, man. But all right, the, man. Uh, There's something it, to consider. That's all. I got you. Enjoy your trip up the Cape, huh? Thanks, man. All Take the care. best to you and yours. All right. It's five minutes before the hour of seven o'clock. We got a couple of minutes before we get out of here, and now it's time for Jason Taubenfeld's favorite segment: "To the Ridiculous." Now, people, wait a minute. You know, I, before I get to the ridiculous, let's talk about the ridiculous number of people who are now being considered for the Democratic nomination to the presidency in 2016. First of all, it's ridiculous that the speculation has begun already. All right, because it's Hillary versus a list of contenders, including Joe Biden, Martin O'Malley, the governor of Maryland, Elizabeth Warren, who's an intriguing prospect, and Andrew Cuomo. Not so much. Now, apparently, California Governor Jerry Brown, Senator uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, an interesting possibility, and Senator uh, Kristen Gillibrand, who succeeded Hillary Clinton in the Senate. Now, I'm assuming most of those would clear the field if Hillary decided to run, but you never know. I let me tell you something, Jason. I love Liz Warren. If I wasn't married, I might ask her for a date. Because <laughs> she's bad, all right? She don't play. I like her. She's got guts. Uh, I don't know if she'd run if Hillary ran. But I'd love to see her give Hillary a run for her money. Uh, you know, I, I periodically during presidential elections take these tests where they ask you what your positions are on certain issues. 
and then they add it together and they tell you which candidate uh, you should be supporting based on what your beliefs are. Well, during the last election, guess who I should have supported? Dennis Kucinich. <laughs> Not Barack Obama, Dennis Kucinich. Uh, by the time that the primary came in where I live, Kucinich wasn't even on the ballot. But anyway, to my main ridiculous story. Now, the WWE, for those of you who don't know, World Wrestling Entertainment, is ridiculous anyway. Okay? It is a bizarro world full of muscular men, scantily clad women, and uh, a husband and wife team that uh, play, uh, I, I don't know, some kind of ridiculous game and clean up in the process. Okay? So... They had some big event, pay-per-view event, this past Sunday. And they have uh, a wrestler called Rusev. And Rusev originally was Bulgarian. I think he actually is Bulgarian. But they managed to morph him into a Russian. And they did this by using this femme fatale, blonde-haired woman with a thick Russian accent named Lana. By the way, Lana's an American. Her name is C.J. Perry. <laughs> For those, I don't want to bust anybody's bubble here. However, they get up there and seemingly mock the Malaysian Airlines tragedy on the WWE. So, you people, you Americans, you and they laud Vladimir Putin, which is a sure tagline for booze out of whatever audience they're playing in, in Springfield or Bridgeport, wherever. But, I mean, you're going to go there, even on a wrestling show, with a fake Ruski on top of it? Come on. Come on. You couldn't find a real Russian, so you hired an American. And, by the way, if she talks too much, you'll hear her American accent slip. Okay? I'm just saying. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is almost as ridiculous as it gets. We're almost out of time. We're going to be back here to do this again next week, Wednesdays, 6 p.m. Do you know, Jason, i got to tell you something, man. I've only done about four of these. It's the high point of my week. (laughs) It really is. It is the high point of my week. Because I get to sit back and yell myself hoarse, which I did at the top of the show. (laughs) I enjoy this. I enjoy talking to you. I hope you enjoy listening to me. This is kind of like Mark Riley unbridled. Not to say I was ever reined in in the past, but I'm, I'm beyond that now because I'm an old man and don't care about anything anymore except my wife and kids. I care about them. I care about the world. care about that lady who I helped upstairs with her stroller out of the train station. I care about everybody. Time for us to go. Thanks to Jason Tarbenfeld. Thanks to Casey. Back next week, 6 o'clock. Stay tuned to the Progressive Radio Network.